As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live on the Autism Network. It's our first full show, live show during the month of April 2022. And I I, I just don't think we could have picked somebody better to set this thing off. Do you know what I'm saying? Like a firecracker. Uh, I'm so excited. I don't, I don't even have doors shut. That's how excited I am today. I, and we're not even going to wait uh, to bring him in because he's so awesome. We have to have him involved in everything today. Of course, I'm talking about the fabulous Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. If you watch the show and if you've been watching the show for the last 10, almost 11 years that we've been doing the show, then you probably have seen him on the show before, but it's been a while. And so I'm so thrilled to welcome him back home because I, I feel like he's a part of this home, uh, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a PhD, BCBAD, all the letters. Uh, he's a professor and mindfulness researcher. Oh, stop. How good is that? Uh, at, this, at the University of Southern California, uh, as well as the director of research at First Steps for Kids, a wonderful, wonderful place. Uh, he is somebody, who, his life revolves around research and, the, and practice in the areas that help people thrive during times of stress and discomfort. Oh, pull up a cushion, right? <laughs> Don't we all want to be uh, a part of listening to what he has to say about that? He's got five books out uh, that he has published in the field of psychology, over 90 scientific articles and chapters, and has served as the editor-in-chief of the scientific journal Behavior Analysis and Practice. Yes, Yes, if we pick well. Uh, his practical work revolves around supporting children and families as well as teaching adults skills that can help us connect with deeper meaning and purpose in the context of life's struggles. It just gets better and better, doesn't it? Uh, compassion and social justice are the compassion, the compass, excuse me, that guide Dr. Jonathan Tarbox's work. And I had to read that because it was so put so well concisely. But let me just tell you, he walks his talk. I have known this gentleman for many years, and um, the first time I met him was probably one of the most stressful 
and deeply upsetting parts of my life when um, after my son had been diagnosed with autism and we had started our early intervention and my son was hitting me. And I know I've talked about it before on the show, but I, I said to the people who were helping me to, you know, deal with those behaviors, I said, I need help and I'm not going to leave until you get me help because something bad's going to happen. And do you know who they brought? They went, they were like, oh, hold on a second. And they brought Dr. Jonathan Tarbox and, you know, you guys know how my story ends. Uh, I have a wonderful son that I just dropped off uh, for one of his college classes and he doesn't hit me or anybody else. And I no longer think that being hit is something that just is where I'm at. Right. Uh, so that was my introduction to him. And then later on, as we started this show, he was very much a part of the very beginnings of this show. And everything that is right on this show uh, stems from knowing him. I, I just adore the ground that he walks on. I mean that seriously, not figuratively. And um, I, I'm so glad that we get to welcome him back. So, Dr. Tarbox, welcome back to Autism Live. I, I I can't. I'm not sure I can handle how good that introduction is. It's a little much for me, but um, I feel the same way about you, Shannon. I feel like we have been um, partners in many ways in our journeys. Um, and I don't know. I just um, I feel like I've learned so much from you, and you're still such a big part of my daily life. And and actually, I was I was reflecting on when you know I used to be on your show like once a week, and we would talk about jargon and all things ABA and science and everything else. Um, and really, honestly, like I, I still remember that fondly as like one of my favorite experiences I've ever had in my career. It was just getting to spend that time with you on a weekly basis and and um, just connect with with like authenticity and vulnerability. And I don't know, you just um, I feel like what you bring the autism community, not just the parent community and, and the community of autistic people, but also the practitioner community. Uh, what you bring all of us is just so nourishing that um, I don't know, I'm just really excited to be here. So thanks well, for having me. There's a place for here, you here always. So uh, I know you are the very busy man, but you're welcome whenever you want to be here. We have a couple of people who are completely losing their minds because you're here. Uh, by the way, the chat is open, you guys. We're live right now. Today is the 4th of April, 2022. You guys can be writing into the chat right now. We're live on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about a dozen other places. In fact, Traven's going to start to go through what some of those places are. But you can be connecting with us uh, if you write in on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or most of the rest of them, we can see it almost in real time. So Amanda is just so excited that you are here and says hi and that you are amazing. Uh, something mm -hmm. that Amanda and I are in agreement with, uh, with. And Denise LaForce Ryan is already saying, loving seeing the two of you. Yeah. Amanda, who's... Amanda, who's been with us since way back when, says you answered so many questions back for me back in the day, uh, back when I was doing skills with my son. Uh, you helped my my son. You helped him so much. He helped me so much. You helped them so much. So there we go. Uh, yeah. Let me also say, uh, and then I'm going to let Dr. Tarbox talk. I know I'm guilty of this all the time. I don't allow our guests to talk, but I do have some business here that I mentioned we're live on all those places. This show will be available later on as a podcast. You can find it. Uh, it's a free download wherever you get your podcasts. And we appreciate, we are the number one rated autism podcast worldwide. That's because of all of you, because you like us, you share us, you, uh, give us reviews on iTunes, which, you know, that's my favorite thing in the world when you guys do that. So, uh, please, please, please feel free to share. If you find something useful here, share it with somebody else. So 
Dr. Tarbox. Sorry, I have to run through all of that stuff because we, we need to tell people. Uh, hi to Johanny, too, from Philly, watching us as well. Uh, so, I, and I also have to say that so often on the show, I say, you know, I, my credential here is that I'm a pony. This is my new thing now, that I'm a parent of a neurodiverse individual. I'm a pony. And I love it. It makes like me it. happy. But I'm not an expert in autism, which is why we invite people like Dr. Tarbox, who is an expert in the field of autism and mindfulness. Uh, and we do always say to people when we have experts here, there is no expert who can give you individual specific advice in this format. So we all have to be aware of that. But you guys can be writing in questions right now. We have a lot on the agenda to talk about with Dr. Tarbox. Normally, you know, we don't bring our guests in until after Jargon the Day. But um, today, I we couldn't bear to do that. Because when you have Dr. Jonathan Tarbox here, you bring him in for Jargon. And I specifically asked him, uh, is there, is there jargon that, because that, there's a lot of jargon we still haven't done. And I asked him for a jargon term that maybe is a little confusing, um, that would be helpful if our audience knew. And boy, you picked a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just to go over the rules of jargon of the day here, I want to remind everybody that first we give you the jargon term. And then we give you an actual definition. And often, Dr. Tarbox, I make fun of the actual definition because the definition is filled with more jargon and you're just down that rabbit hole. And then we move on to a working definition, which sometimes is a little, the, the pendulum swings too far the other way. And then we try to give some context to it to see if we can't have a beginning understanding. And for those of you who have started watching the show in the last couple of years, you know how I say uh, that I always quote you. There are a couple of things that I quote you with Dr. Tarbox, but uh, with the jargon, I always quote you that you say, you used to say to us, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Oh yeah. Which is really weird. Can you imagine eating an elephant? It's actually kind of a gross metaphor, but (laughs) somehow it works. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, yes, but it's the idea of, you know, how do you climb Mount Everest? You have to do it one step at a time. Yeah, and that's what time. we try to do with the, the jargon terms. So uh, do we do we feel ready to take this on? Let's do it. <laughs> now, now that you understand how the, the unconventional rules of this. Okay. No, uh, I love the rules. These are the exact rules that I use to train my grad students too, is first, you, 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 need, you need to be bilingual, at least. You need to be able to understand and define in technical terms. And then you also need to be able to just understand and talk about it in common sense terms that you could explain to your grandmother or a client's parent, or that you could just talk to yourself about in a way that makes sense and actually just sounds like people talking to people. And, and Dr. Tarbox, I have loved that about you since the very first day that I, I met you, that that is how you roll. Um, and I think it's why so many people in the community, when they meet you, everyone describes it the same thing, that it's sort of like, oh, I, I've stepped into a warm bath. Like, I feel like I've come home, I'm with an expert, and they're going to say things in a way that I understand them. And I see you preaching this to your scientific community all the time. And I do see that there are many converts because of you, people who get it and start talking about it in this way. But what is the holdup on this? Why are there so many people in your field who still do not get this? Uh, You know... I'm not sure, but I will say um, I think it's true of most natural sciences. Like if you if you talk to, let's say, a chemist or a biologist or a physicist or something, 
they're also probably not very good at explaining what they do scientifically in lay terms. Um, the difference is with ABA, <laughs> our subject matter is the behavior of all of us. So it kind of seems like it should be, yeah. it should make sense. You know what I mean? And it needs to make sense if we're going to help empower other people to, ch to change their own behavior in ways that are meaningful and important. It kind of does need to make sense. Um, but the truth is, is it actually, I mean, it is a science. It's a natural science. And so there isn't any reason why, why the technical and scientific knowledge should be any simpler necessarily or any easier to understand than any other natural science. So I think it's, we have this problem of our subject matter is the everyday sort of meat and potatoes of what we do, our own behavior that we all yeah. see every day. And yet it is also a science. And so it's, it is quite technical. And, and uh, Skinner uh, talked about this problem all the time, uh, decades ago, about how everyone thinks they're uh, an expert on human behavior, because we all do it all day, every day. And yet very few people actually take the time to study it scientifically. So that's, that's, what, our, that's what our science is about. All right. Well, having said that, let's, let's jump on into some jargon here. So our, our jargon term for today, which we've never done before, with cool. good reason, because we wouldn't have waded in without an expert, is cognitive diffusion. Uh, and, and so I know everybody's like, what? Uh, to me, uh, this sounds like you're taking our brains and putting it through a swirly. So <laughs> that's what I get from that. But let's let's look at what our actual definition for the day is and, and who we've credited for this. Uh, we actually, I found a study that we credited. Okay. It's a mouthful. A technique used in Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Act as part of its contextual behavioral approach to psychotherapy and other behavioral health concerns. Cognitive diffusion, quote, refers to the reduction of stimulus function transformation that occurs through verbal relation. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and this is from the study, Cognitive Diffusion in Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Uh, and you see the reference there, along with the link, if you would like to read this scintillating read, which it actually kind of was. But let me first say, Dr. Tarbox, that ACT is something that you're an expert in, that you've been talking about a lot. We talk about it a little bit on the show. But I hear this phrase, contextual, contextual behavioral approach, all the time. I have no idea what that means. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I, like There's another piece of jargon. That's another piece of jargon right there. I'm not sure. Like when you talk about psychotherapy, I bring, you know, more than 50 years of uh, uh, movies and things to that. But I'm not even sure that I really know what psychotherapy is. I think I know a little bit about behavioral health concerns. I, I'm going to, I'm going to say that I probably know a little bit about that, but the reduction of stimulus function transformation, oh, you've lost me completely. And then you round it out with verbal relation. And I go, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this no is a classic case of have one piece of jargon and then put 18 more behind it to try to explain the first one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for yeah. Sure. No, no hope of understanding. So uh, we're going to come back to some of this and see okay. if we can't shed some light on it, but let's move on to our working definition, which again, we're going to swing it far the other way and take it down as much as we possibly can. Cognitive diffusion is allowing thoughts to occur without letting them stop you from doing what is important to you. Yeah. Shut the front door. 
that's what that other thing meant? Yeah, it actually is. Yes, that, that, that you, you did a good job picking the sort of lay definition and the technical definition that actually do mean the same thing. It's, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it makes value, sense. But it's true. Even knowing it, I can't put the two together. Yeah. But mm-hmm. when you talk about this, allowing thoughts to occur without letting them stopping you doing from what's important to you, then I go, oh, holy business, this seems like something that's going to be crucial toward me accomplishing what I want in my life um, and and being able to deal with some of the crap that prevents me from doing it. Mm-hmm. So, so first, let's talk about cognitive diffusion itself and why this is, what this is and why it's so important. Take it away, Dr. Tarbox. All right. Yeah. So uh, I guess I think it's useful to start with just a teeny bit of sort of backstory on sort of like the human mind and where it came from and how it evolved. And and people, um, a lot of folks in the contextual behavior science field or, or the ACT area, uh, arena talk about um, the human mind or the human brain as sort of like evolved as a sort of overactive problem solver. So you could think of like, you know, when we were uh, cave people running, running around out on the savanna or whatever, we were constantly having to problem solve and we were constantly having to avoid getting eaten by a lion or we we're having to figure out where the best, you know, most productive fruit trees were to pick fruit or we we're having to warn each other about, you know, this fruit is poisonous or whatever. So basically we had to uh, evolve the ability to detect disaster in the future and create rules for how to avoid disaster. That was basically like had survival value. And that's essentially that like that ability to do that verbally and to talk to each other about that um, is really part of what uh, helped us evolve into tool users and, you know, modern humans. And so here's the problem is now every day when we're hanging out in our normal lives, uh, there's very few lions trying to eat us anymore. Right. And so there's very few disasters that we actually have to sort of detect and prevent. There's certainly some for sure, um, but that's not like the, the sort of general state of affairs anymore usually we're relatively safe physically, right? Um, And usually we're in a situation where it's better to just tune in and be present and just do the thing, like perform, like be fully present with whatever you're going to do and enjoy it, you know, and move towards what matters to you. That would be ideal, right? But we've got this, uh, this, the human mind or this sort of problem generating, problem solving machine running uh, on overtime constantly. And so cognitive diffusion work is about learning how to build a better relationship with that mind that's always coming up with thoughts that frankly, most of the time aren't that helpful. And so then, so we've got this like sort of constant presence and availability of like thoughts, like, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm too tired or I'm too stressed out or, or I'm too, you know, if, if you want to take it to, you know, parents of, of autistic folks, maybe it's like, uh, you know, he, he should know that what he did was wrong. He, you know, he needs to take responsibility for it or, or I'm too exhausted. I can't do it. Or, you know, I'm not going to have the future that I thought I was going to have for my family, right? All of these thoughts pop into our heads that frankly, most of the time aren't that useful. Like if it comes time to planning a strategy for the IEP meeting, yes, we need that sort of problem solving, overthinking, like strategizing mind. That's helpful then. Most contexts, it's not that helpful. And so um, cognitive diffusion is about, uh, it's a set of uh, skill training procedures that help us develop new skills of dealing with our own minds and responding to our own minds. And so uh, Steve, one way that Steve Hayes puts it is um, notice what's there, take what's useful and use it and leave the rest. Like we don't have to get rid of it, but just set it aside and move towards what matters. So um, let's just say it's date night, right? Like imagine that if we ever had time for that, right? But you're out to dinner with your partner and like you got an hour <laughs> to enjoy your, your time with your partner. 
is that a great time to be worrying about the future? Like, is that a, a useful context in which it's, 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 it's productive and practical to be thinking a lot about the future and what could go wrong? Not so much, right? It's not to say we shouldn't plan for the future, but in that context, when you have that opportunity to, to, to share some moments of intimacy with your partner, in that context, those thoughts aren't useful. So it's about noticing those thoughts and, and gaining the ability to sort of set them aside and then tune into what really matters to you at the moment. It's kind of amazing. And I, and I love some of the comments that we're getting. Um, I, I know um, I've been able to do a little bit of um, act uh, in relation to being a parent of someone uh, who's neurodiverse. And one of the things that I noticed was, and then I notice now across the board, and I look at this for not just myself, but for everybody is that uh, I, I had all these things that I really wanted and still want for my son that had to do mm-hmm. with independence. Mm. But I am someone who's very fearful of the world. And, and I have all of these thoughts about, like, I, I've, I've had many people call me and say, don't watch that Netflix show, The Worst world, uh, Roommate in the World, or the, you know, whatever that is, because they've said, you'll never allow your son to move out of, out of your house. Don't do it, Shannon. We know you, you know, because I can get bogged down in those fearful things about what if this and what if that and what if that to the point where I have it has come out of my mouth before that I would like to duct tape my son to the wall so that nothing can ever happen to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and so I think about things in terms of that, that I have, I have this going on in my head. Yeah. But a lot of times people will tell you, well, just let that go. Just, just like, you know, ignore that, pretend it doesn't happen. That has never worked for me, but that's not what you're talking about, right? No, oh no. I mean, that would be great. If, you, if we just had an on-off switch for unhelpful thoughts, great. Hit the off switch, you know? And yeah. some people learn really maladaptive ways of hitting the off switch. For example, oh, too much eating? alcohol, right? Eating? Yeah. <laughs> too, too, too much eating, too much alcohol, too much sleeping, too much binging uh, social media or Netflix or whatever. All of those things, if we do them to excess, kind of do turn off those uh, unhelpful thoughts in the short term, right? But then we wake up the next day and we're like, man, why did I eat all that? Or why did I drink all that? Or why did I blow three hours on stupid social media when I had important stuff to do, right? And so it's, it's not a real solution. And so, um, yeah, it would be great if we could turn it off. We can't, it's not an option. Um, you know, to have those unhelpful thoughts is to be human. It's just part of how we're wired as human beings. We don't get to not have, them. it's not an option. So you could try to control them if you want. And there are certain approaches to psychotherapy that are sort of based on that. Like if you have, you know, irrational thoughts, try to change them into rational thoughts. Try to control them. Try to make them go away. Um, as far as from my understanding, the research is pretty clear that it just doesn't work very well to control your thoughts and your feelings. Um, if you found strategies that work for you in certain contexts, do it. Go for it by all means. Uh, but there's good research to show that letting the thoughts and the feelings be there and just letting them be there. Pick, take what's useful from them and use that and then just leave the rest. That doesn't mean cancel them, make them go away or control them. Just means here, hold them next to you while you then pick what matters to you in that moment and do the thing that matters to you in the moment. So it's not about getting rid of them or controlling them. It's about letting them be there, just letting them be, like noticing them, you know? Um, and so there's all kinds of goofy strategies for this. And if you want to get into it, we can certainly talk about like some, some of the procedures that people do to sort of practice building these skills. Well, in fact, Johanny wrote in and said, um, do we use cognitive diffusion for depression and anxiety? Do we apply it to younger individuals or to adults? And do most psychotherapists use it? So 
Can we answer those and then start talking about maybe at least one technique that we could do today to do this? Yeah, sure. So, so lots of, lots of questions in that question there. Um, I'm not a a depression or anxiety researcher, so I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on that. Um, But, but yes, my understanding is um, ACT therapists who treat uh, depression and anxiety definitely involve cognitive diffusion in their work. And so I know that that's an area of application. Um, and then do we apply it for younger individuals or adults? Absolutely. And so there's lots of ways to do cognitive diffusion that can be really abstract and really heady, maybe if for people who are sort of more philosophically oriented. And then there's lots of ways that we can break it down into really tangible, simple stuff and even physicalize it. So it's like involving motor movement and involving humor. Humor is really helpful for cognitive diffusion. Um, and absolutely, it's adaptable to children, too. Um, do most psychotherapists use it? I don't know about that. I would say uh, ACT is one of the most well-known, most mainstream approaches to cognitive behavior therapy these days. And so I do think that most people getting their PhD in psychology these days um, learn about ACT and, and diffusion is a big part of ACT. So, so I would say most people, most new psychologists are being trained on it or having some awareness of it. I'm not sure that I could say most psychologists like today, if you walk into an office, are using it. Probably not. I mean, most psychologists were are older and have been trained, you know, earlier. So I'm not sure exactly about the prevalence, I guess, of that, if that makes sense. So when I crack jokes, which is what I do whenever something is very serious, is that Mm -hmm. a form of cognitive diffusion? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so really we would think about that functionally. So, so if the main purpose of cracking the joke is to avoid feeling discomfort, then maybe not, that would be more like an avoidance strategy. But if the main purpose of the joke or the function of that behavior, if you will, if the main function of that joke cracking behavior is to um, uh, sort of uh, disrupt the power of thoughts to control you, especially towards doing stuff that you don't love, uh, then yes, definitely. So uh, if I'm if I'm experiencing something difficult as a parent and, uh, you know, and I'm having thoughts like I can't do this, I'm just too tired or something. Uh, and I think probably what I'm about to do is be kind of grouchy with my kids because that's the fastest way to just get them to do what I need them to do right now. Um, and then I crack a joke like, oh, awesome. Here comes Mr. Grouchy Pants again, you know, <laughs> and then that creates a little space to go, oh, right. That's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. And then I choose a different behavior. Instead of being grouchy, I take a deep breath. I give them a hug. I look them in the eyes and say, man, I really need you to do this right now. Can we get this done together? And if that's the function of that joke cracking behavior is to create a space for that and to kind of free me up from thoughts like I can't do this, I'm too tired, we got to just get it done, then yes, it could be an example of diffusion. Oh my gosh. So this is really good stuff. So uh, help us, what's, what's another example of how we might use cognitive diffusion today? So a really great, uh, there, there's lots, but basically it's anything that you do in reaction to your thought other than rigidly following what the thought says to do. Okay. So if you think about uh, your thought as like somebody else telling you what to do, and if you're just compliant with that and fully obey, that's not diffusion. In fact, that would be like fusion, meaning like you're just kind of obeying the thoughts. You're taking them very literally or seriously. Um, if you could imagine some person, you know, telling you what to do and you do something different than just obeying it. So, so for example, you might go, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting that you're telling me to do that. I wonder if I want to do that. And then maybe you do it or don't do it. Or maybe you uh, repeat the command back to the person in a silly voice, like, you know, uh, in, in a Batman accent or something, you know. Or maybe you like uh, spray paint what the person commanded you to do on the wall instead of actually doing what they told you to do. You, you get where I'm going? Just anything yeah. other than just obedience to the thought. Um, 
that could be an example of, of uh, practicing diffusion. Interesting. Uh, okay. Uh, fascinating. And so should like what, when you're teaching a parent, because part of the reason why we're talking about this is a lot of times, whether we're the person on the spectrum, because we see that there's some perseveration on things with, sure. with people that are on the spectrum. But I think, I think the people who are much better at perseveration um, it are the, the caregivers, parents, that sometimes we get stuck in a groove. Sure. I, I will hold myself accountable and say I easily get stuck in a groove. I, I say sometimes that, you know, when my son was diagnosed with autism, um, there were things that I was angry about. Yeah. Um, and that I was resentful about that had nothing to do with him, but it was all about getting services started, you know, the, who I needed to be in order to make things work that I didn't always feel up to it. Right. I always like to to define that because people go, oh, you were mad at your son. Not at all. Yeah. Not one day, not a single day was I mad at him. I What I found difficult and trying was negotiating all of and you guys know what I'm talking about, right? All the stuff that you got to negotiate, the paperwork and all of that, that was what was overwhelming. And I could get myself angry. I was like a lighthouse looking for who could I put the anger on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then when I could find somebody that I could be really angry about, um, then I would sort of rigidly um, stick into that and be in this groove of, oh, and, and the, the sort of script was, oh, you know, nothing good ever happens for us. People aren't trying to help us. And I would be stuck in in that mode while I would be in a place where somebody really probably was available to help me, mm. but I would come at them with a wall of anger. Mm, so yeah. if I if I'm if I'm a parent who finds myself stuck in that negativity mm-hmm. and not open to having the people who are in front of me who want to help me, how would how would we use cognitive diffusion on that, Dr. Tarbox? Yeah, well, I would say uh, use the trick called uh, name your story. And mm. so you you were talking about this sort of narrative and this story and this theme you were living inside of about being angry and about people not helping me and all that. So like if you could come up with that, if that was like a theme song for your life at that time, like a Broadway theme song, <laughs> what would it be called? Uh, uh, nobody cares. Probably. Nobody cares. Yeah, okay, nobody so, cares. So, so then if I was your trainer right now, what I'd be back then, what I would yeah. recommend is when you notice you're in a situation where uh, you're feeling angry again, and it's possible that you're in a context where someone actually is going to help you. And so maybe anger isn't the most effective or most practical strategy in that context. You could try just noticing, just practicing noticing and saying something like, oh, here comes the nobody likes me story again, or nobody cares uh, story again. Or you could say like, oh, man, I'm going to work this up into a musical number when I redo my show. Uh, (laughs) Well, and you could, that is actually something we'd recommend Yeah, carefully because we don't want people people to think we're making fun of them, but I would suggest actually choreographing a little dance routine to it. Nobody loves us. Nobody cares. You know, you could do it in your head. Like don't actually do that in the IEP meeting, but you could do it in your head. And if that creates just, if that humor creates just a little space for you to think a little more openly and to give somebody a chance, maybe who's trying to help you, maybe that's helpful and maybe not, that's okay too, but at least it's more flexible and a little bit, uh, it provides a little more opportunity than just doing the old anger thing, which is I'm mad, nobody cares, and I'm going to show you that I'm mad at you, which right. sometimes that's fine. That's practical, right? But you're saying sometimes it's not, right? So some flexibility around that could be useful. 
Well, because sometimes you just get stuck in that groove and you miss what's in front of you. But what I love about this is it doesn't say poo-poo it. It says, let's bring it right out into the light. Let's look at it. Let's, is it useful? And if it's not, like, what else do we have? Exactly. I, I love that because otherwise we're pushing it down, stuffing it down. And I think that leads to all kinds of not fun things. All right. Yeah, I'm Go ahead. Oh, can I share one more strategy? Yes, yes. I learned from you. So, uh, so uh -oh. this, <laughs> no, no, I mean, you taught me this. So I, um, so I was reading your book or like the, you know, the proofs or the galleys or whatever for your book a couple of weeks ago. And um, I was reminded of one of my favorite pieces of wisdom that I got from you, which was um, other people's opinion of my parenting or none of my business. And I think that's a diffusion strategy. I mean, you didn't create it that way on purpose necessarily, or maybe you did. But to me, that's a diffusion strategy because I'm walking, you know, I'm walking through the store. Maybe my kid is acting out or something. I immediately start to think everybody thinks I'm a bad parent. Or everybody thinks I'm a bad dad or whatever. Right then, in that moment, if I then choose to do something that's not in my kid's best interest or not in my best interest, just to help me avoid other people's judgment, then in my opinion, I've kind of lost, right? I've lost the battle. So what I want to do is what matters for my kid and what matters for my family. And so if in that moment, I remind myself of the mantra other people's opinion of my parenting is none of my business. And then that creates a little opportunity to then choose something that I really care about rather than just responding to that thought of everyone thinks I'm a bad parent. Um, that's a great example. Wow. Well, that's powerful for me. It is something that I found myself saying a lot. And um, even, for, you know, for those of you, I think we've talked about this before. I do have a book coming out and Dr. Tarbox was so nice uh, to read it ahead of time and which I so appreciate. And um, what's funny is that somebody else that I had read the book um, then went to my son and made a comment to them about something that's in the book that I talked about Halloween and how. My son, we didn't let, allow my son to have candy for a lot of years. And, and so they, they, this person who I love and adore and I respect their opinion went to him and said, oh my gosh, I can't believe your mother didn't allow you to have candy for Halloween. And then he came to me and said, boy, the look on her face, it was like, you know, you, you know, you're, you're, you're horrible for not. And I said, how did you respond? And he said, I told her I, I didn't like candy, but, um, but I found myself in that moment where I was like, Am I a terrible parent that I, and then I went, yeah. did I not just write in a book the, the thing that I'm supposed to say to myself? And I, and then I sat there in the car and I was like, wait a second, their opinion of my parenting is none of my business. Even though I yeah. love and respect them, they weren't with me in that moment. And I, and then I went, you know, it's that Ileana Van Zant thing of heal yourself, heal yourself. <laughs> and I, and then I kind of made fun of myself and laughed about it. And I was like, oh, this is so funny. I need my own book. Uh, well, no, but see, that's important because, and, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's, I, I'm happy that you shared that because none of this stuff, any of the cognitive diffusion or any of the other act work, none of it is knowledge that once you have it, you're done. All of it is an ongoing practice, just like mindfulness practice, just like yoga, just like exercise, just like anything, kindness, even and compassion. It's an ongoing practice. No, like understanding the concept is not what it's about. It's about making choices every day to practice that. And then when you recognize, oh, like I'm not perfect at it, you know, 10 years later, 20 years later, you got the number one autism podcast. You're like a parenting guru in autism and you too, every now and then need to remind yourself, you know, what? every now and then opinion of my parenting, none of my business. And <laughs> yeah. that's okay. That's not a failure. That's you doing the work. That's the practice. That's what it's about.
Amen to that. See how he can turn it all around. I just want to acknowledge Gareth has written in and said that doctors tend to not understand when he's talking about um, being stuck in a negativity thing and that many Mm. just read books to apply. But I want you to recognize, Gareth, that in some ways you're doing exactly what I was doing before about making these definitive statements about nobody listens, nobody cares, nobody understands. Um, and that maybe you can use some of the things that Dr. Tarbox was talking about to acknowledge that that's what you're feeling. You're feeling like nobody listens, nobody understands. But is that the whole truth? Right, exactly. And, and you know, being stuck in a negativity loop, it's awful. Um, and it's part of being human. I mean, we've got names for that. I guess if you get stuck bad enough in a negativity loop, you can get a diagnosis of depression. You know, if you're not getting out of bed, if you're not doing stuff that you want to do, not not living a life of meaning and purpose, then you can go and get a diagnosis so they can stick a name on that, you know. And also, though, it it's just human. We all have the full range of human emotions. Nobody gets a free pass on any of the emotions. Nobody gets to be positive all the time. And nobody gets to be negative all the time. It is normal to get stuck in negativity loops. And so... Um, if you're interpreting, um, and again, I know we can't give specific advice, but, but if one is interpreting doctors saying like, uh, here, read this book and get over it, that is definitely not what I'm talking about here. And that's not what cognitive diffusion is about. It's about noticing the negativity loop and making room for it. And then asking like, is it useful right now? Is there another thing that I can do other than what I normally do in response to experiencing the negativity loop? What choices do I normally make? And is there space to make a little bit different choice and just try it and see what happens. And if that, if that wasn't effective or powerful for me tomorrow, I make a third choice and a fourth choice and a fifth choice. The idea is get out there and try many different things, even still while I'm stuck in the negativity loop, try different behaviors and see which ones impact you in ways that are meaningful to you. And, and it's not, and it's still not going to make the negativity loop go away. The question isn't how to, how to make it go away. It's how to develop new, new flexible habits in its presence. And, and maybe making room for finding, you know, you might've been to 32 doctors who aren't helpful, but it might be the 34th doctor that you go to that might be helpful. It's possible. Yeah. And I it's can possible. empathize with how, how frustrating and demoralizing that is. I mean, we've, many of us have had that experience. That's yeah. Very, very challenging. All right, we're going to move on to our question of the day because we've got a lot to talk about and we're already halfway, more than halfway through the show. Our question today, you guys can be writing in on any of the platforms that we're on. Uh, Nope, that's cognitive diffusion. Uh, (laughs) Here we go. What thoughts are preventing you from being able to do what is important to you? So here here it's like smack in your face. I already told you for me, a lot of times keeping my son safe in the world, the crazy world of uh, my, my, even before I had children, uh, child, uh, my nieces used to make fun of me whenever I would say anything to them. And they would say, there's constantly a man with a knife chasing you, Aunt Shannon. Uh, and I would go, and your point? Um, yes, there is because sometimes there is. And, um, but that's the way my brain works, but I have to not allow that to prevent my son from having his independence and growing up to be who he is and who he's supposed to be. But now it's on you guys' uh, side. What If you want to share uh, publicly, please feel free to do that in the chat. But I would encourage 
all of us to think today about what thoughts are preventing us from being able to do what is important to us. I think it's a good question, isn't it, Dr. Tarbox? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This question is at the core of, of the diffusion practice is what thoughts are showing up and how and then how am I responding to them? And there can I go. develop some flexibility around them? Because then it's a choice. Then when we brought it out into light, it's, I feel like it's a very empowering thing. Uh, but that's going to bring us all uh, full circle into our topic for the week, which we're going to touch on briefly because we have a lot that we want to talk. But we're gonna, we'll, we'll fold it right into what we're talking about with Dr. Tarbox. Uh, go ahead, Traven, put that up there. Our topic for the week. Dun, 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 dun. I'm stalling because I don't remember it exactly. Oh, yes, of course. There it is. Seeing the bigger picture, mm. um, which I feel like goes right hand in hand with the first thing that we're going to talk about, because we, we mention mm. ACT a couple of times here. Um, why is ACT, Dr. Tarbox, which has a lot to do with this thing of, of seeing the bigger picture, this is a hot topic that it, for especially for parents of neurodiverse individuals, parents of, of individuals who are on the autism spectrum, um, they're, everybody's talking about it in conjunction with parents. Why? And then tell us a little bit about the, I know you're working on something right now some of your some of your students are working on Talk sure to yeah I, I appreciate that well um so you know i like to think about act as basically like a set of sort of life skills sort of um, lifestyle skills or you could think about them as sort of self-management skills but they're basically like healthy habits for um helping one uh let go of the sort of thoughts and feelings that get in the way and reconnect with what really matters get present and live a life of greater meaning and purpose uh, without having to change our thoughts or feelings in order to do it. Um, so basically, like, who wouldn't want more meaning and purpose and less struggle <laughs> with thoughts and feelings? Um, who wouldn't want uh, the ability to be more present with whatever's happening in life? Um, that's what ACT is about, is, help, is, is skills for sort of um, working on our own lives and our own uh, ability to live inside of our own skins with our own minds and our own hearts without having to change any of that fully getting closer to fully accepting who we are, what our life is about, connecting with what our life is about, um, and then choosing small actions every day that, that, that put meaning and purpose at the center of our daily activities. Um, so that's sort of big picture what the ACT work is about. Um, and uh, yeah, I appreciate, um, the, the, um, appreciate the opportunity to announce a study that I got going on. It's uh, my student, Kristen Lee, is doing a study and it's uh, She's recruiting right now, and it's specifically for parents of autistic children, and it's uh, web-based, self-paced, and it's ACT training for parents. And so it's a randomized control trial. And so if you sign up for it, basically it's a coin flip, whether you get an immediate treatment group or the waitlist group, but everyone gets the same training and the same treatment. You just either get it immediately or you have to wait, uh, I forget how long, a month or two, and then you get it. I um, mean, we just have to do that the stat. That's how you have to make it work. And if you want to produce data that will publish, we can't give everyone the same thing at the same time. Um, and so um, it's uh, relatively short term, relatively low time investment. And you just, you could do it from any uh, cell phone or laptop or iPad. Uh, you can get the training. Okay. So um, right now, if you're watching um, or if you know somebody who could benefit from this, you can, we're going to put an email up on the, the screen that I put in the chat for, for Traven um, to have it. And what we want you to do is to write to Kristen 
and tell her that you'd like to be a part of the study. And correct me Mm -hmm. if I'm wrong here, Dr. Tarbox. So some of the things that we've been talking about, if you're struggling and you are a parent of an individual who has a diagnosis, they're they're wanting you to take part in the study. So you're going to get free training in Mm -hmm. these techniques to help you to deal with your feelings. Because you're going to be a part of the study, you you know, you're going to get the, the, the free training at some point, you just might have to wait because they want to see, you know, how everybody does. And you're going to be asked some questions, um, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be really helpful. And I believe, I I know you can't say that because it's a study to see. Yeah, I'm not allowed to like sell it. That's part of the recruiting, you know, uh, uh, restrictions that we have. I can't promise any benefit. Um, But But I I can tell parents that there's tons of research. Uh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You finished. No, no, I was just going to say, I can just be honest about the fact that in, in the past when I've provided parents, um, in the autism community with ACT training, they've reported that it's, it's helpful and beneficial. I'm not promising any benefit from this study, but, but yeah, it's there, there, there's a potential for benefit for sure. But, and, and I can, I can say to parents that I've been through some of some, uh, uh, you know, not necessarily this training, but other training in ACT and that it was very beneficial to me. Um, so I'm encouraging you to do it. It's free. It's not mm-hmm. going to be free forever. Um, this is part of a study and a lot of people have to pay a significant amount of money for this. So I'm oh, yeah. telling you that I think it's a really good idea um, that you do this because not only will I believe, will you find a benefit in it, but then the people who then read the study results will also be able to find a benefit. In it. It's a way of being of service on a bunch of different levels. So sure. we have put the... Um, the email on the screen for you, for those of you who are listening in podcasts, because a lot of our viewers are listeners. It is J I N G Q I L I at USC.ed. Did I get that right? I'm a little blind. You got it right. That's the one. Yeah, uh, no, I was kind of squinting too, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. So I encourage you guys to do that. Because there is a growing, um, there's there's more and more research about this, uh, Dr. Tarbox, showing that there is a benefit. You guys are looking at some very specific things having mm-hmm. to do with this. Uh, so I'm excited. Amanda uh, is excited about it, too. I do mm-hmm. want to say that... Um, Amanda had written in, and I I love your honesty, Amanda. I have trust issues, so finding someone for respite is going to be hard. I'm so scared someone is going to hurt my kids. I think this is a great thing to talk about, Dr. Tarbox, because you have a group of parents who are saying, I need a break. I need a break in the worst possible way, and I understand if I don't get a break, I'm pushing the limits of what I can do as a parent, and I might even get sick. Yeah, like, for sure. like we, we cognitively understand all of that. If you talk to any of us, we all get that. Right. But, but we have this other thing on the other side that says, I don't know who to trust. I'm yeah. not sure that I can trust anybody. So I'm not even going to look or I start to look and I get afraid and I shut down from that. And yeah. that's why parents don't find respite care. But these two things are are so important to us. I need a break. I need my kids to be safe. And it's like, bung, 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 bung. This is something yes. great that you could bring ACT to. Yes? Yeah, yeah. So I would say, you know, this is a great opportunity to practice diffusion skills. So you can notice the thoughts that show up and you could even write them down. Like, I don't trust anyone with my children. I don't want my child to get hurt. Um, maybe even some darker thoughts, like some respite people abuse children. That thought is not 
logically false. That is a true thought, right? Um, write them down and then you can practice just responding to those thoughts in a variety of ways. So one way of doing it is just taking a step back. You could do it physically or psychologically and just say, I notice that I'm having the thought that I don't trust anyone with my kids. Or I notice that I'm a parent named Amanda, X number of years old, living in X state or country, wherever you are, having the thought that I don't trust a professional with my child's safety. And it's just a different way of responding to that thought. Maybe in the past, you'd, you'd, you'd be just about to make a call or send an email to a respite provider. You'd have the thought, I don't trust anybody with my kids, and you close the laptop. So instead of that, maybe you have the thought, or, or you're about to email a respite provider, I have the thought, I don't trust anybody with my kids. And then I say, gee, that's interesting. I notice I'm a 45-year-old dad having the thought that I don't trust anybody with my kids. And then just take a deep breath and then just kind of notice, do I want to close the laptop or is there an opportunity to send an email? Is there an opportunity to do, do a Zoom interview at least with a, with a respite provider? Could I maybe reach out to some uh, trusted friends who have had success with rest of respite providers and maybe I could interview them? Is there some other behavior that's available to me other than just shutting the, shutting the door to the opportunities for respite? And it's just about creating a little space for variability and just trying something different. And it's not guaranteed to work, but uh, it probably is more likely to be effective than just doing the same old thing, which is never mind that I'm not going to make the call. I'm not going to send the email. Yeah, I don't, I'm sure there's another name for it. Um, but one of the things that I was taught for myself, because I tend to go to catastrophic thinking, mm -hmm. is to ask myself, is it 100% always true? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because then one. my brain goes, oh, all planes don't crash. Right, they, right. Like no one would get on them. Yep. Um, and you could also do it with some sarcasm. Like you could say, it's 100% certain that every respite care provider will hurt my child. And just like notice what that does to you and go like, oh, yeah. all right, wow. okay, maybe I am over, you know what I mean? And again, not to be disrespectful to yourself. You're not making fun no. of yourself unless you feel safe doing that, you know, but, yeah. uh, but you are maybe just take, creating a context to take that thought a little bit less literally and a with a little bit less certainty. And notice that the thought is just something showing up for you. It's not necessarily true or untrue. It's just something showing up. And then you have choices about how to respond to it. Well, and one of the things that I love about all of that is that then I find myself an equation where I go, where I allow myself to dream and say, what would be the ultimate fabulous? Mm -hmm. What would my heart be open to? Would my heart be open to allowing a new person to come into our life who might be just what I need and just what my son needs who adds and becomes part of our family and mm. becomes somebody that I would my heart be open to that. And then I find I want to move towards that. I want I like to believe that. that that's a possibility. So, so, so you've identified um, sort of cat catastrophizing as sort of maybe sort of a rigid sort of, I don't want to say problem behavior, but maybe a habit that gets in the way sometimes. And then you've identified a specific alternative behavior to that, which is imagining potential positive possibilities, not fake, not saccharine fluff, but like stuff that you actually care about, your values, right? So imagining possible future outcomes that are directly connected to what really matters to you. And so maybe it's like imagining a, a possible future where since I have a little bit more time, I could take better care of myself, which then makes me more effective as a parent. Yeah. And how about this? Creating a little more room for self-care so that in the future, my child remembers back to their childhood 
and can remember a model of a parent who took care of themselves. And then that will create a possible future where my child will take better care of themselves in the future rather than only making their life about something else. Other than Amen to that. Just, Amen right? to that. That's incredible. Well, and can I tell you when else I use this is that for years, I, there's this thing that happens with parents where we'll, we'll start ABA services and they're going really well. And we've identified one or two or three therapists that are just, you know, our be all end all. And then one of them leaves and they're bringing a new therapist onto the team. And we all go, I don't want somebody new. I don't want somebody new. They're not going to know us. They're not going to know my kid. Why do I have to have somebody new? And sometimes it's the person is brand new. They, they just got their RBT and we're like, they're, you know, they're a big, or, or they're studying to get their RBT. They know nothing. And we're afraid, like, who are these people and how are they going to come in without this knowledge? And you know what I say to people all the time? There was a mom one day who let Dr. Jonathan Tarbox into her house and mm-hmm. he was seeing a child for the first time and she let him come in and look, she won the lottery. <laughs> you know, and you don't know, you might be this person coming on your team might in 20 years be, you know, somebody that we're going to be like, oh my gosh, they, they're like Dr. Tarbox. Like we don't, there was a parent one day who didn't know how brilliant you were, who opened the door and you, and it was your first day. Well, I thank you for that, but I'm going to make it not even just about me or one particular person, but it, it man, it could be that new, that new therapist could be the person that makes the most enduring human to human connection with my child out of the entire therapy team, out of my child's entire life of receiving support services. This could be the person we don't know, like through empathy and compassion and through connection, this person could transform my child's life. And we don't know. We have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but it's that thing again, where if I can get myself through the catastrophic thinking and think about what is my heart open to, oh, would I be open to somebody new coming in and being able to like really make things better? That's, that's me on my best day and my best moment. So that's a really fun thing. I'm just realizing how much time we've gone through and we have so many more things to talk about. (laughs) I brought up ABA. You are someone who is a huge proponent of compassionate ABA. Um, and I, I wanted to, I want to give you at least three minutes. Uh, I know that's no, you need three years okay. to talk about this, but at least three minutes to talk about compassion in ABA and the fact that it, that it is there and, and that it can be there and that we all need to be looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate the opportunity. So it is uh, one of my number one sort of guideposts right now in my career is um talking about compassion, using my behavior to try to create a context for um, ABA folks to open up more to what we really care about. Um, And it's really interesting right now. um, For the last couple of years, we've been seeing a change, an evolution in our field where I I do believe, no, in fact, I know that 99.9% of ABA folks are in the field for the right reasons, certainly not for the money. We're in the field to help other people and because we care about transforming lives. There's no question that compassion is at the core, the foundation really for for why we get into this field. Um, And also um, it's reasonable to observe that that's not obvious from our behavior and that there are many people who do not feel warmth and compassion from ABA folks. And, and part of it, uh, we have to take responsibility that part of it is on us. It's on how we act and how we talk. Jargon is not compassionate. 
if we're talking to parents or teachers using all of our jargon that makes us sound so smart or whatever and scientific, it usually does not come off as compassionate, right? And we already know that from medical doctors. When was the last time you felt warmth and care from a medical doctor who just told you about all the all your challenges through some jargon that you can't understand, right? We all say that's bad bedside manner. It's obvious, right? So, um, and somehow yet we've had this tradition in our field for decades of sort of making that same mistake. And so um, something's changing right now. 10 years ago, um, sort of the power of the older, sort of wider, more male power players in the field really would would have resisted this change and really did not want things to change. And it's about the science, it's about the data. Something is changing now in our field where people are ready to um, embrace the fact that we are human beings first and ABA professionals second. That we, like our calling is to take care of human beings and to make other people's lives better through warmth and kindness and compassion. That's who we are. That's our foundation. The way that we do it is awesome. We have the science that can help people learn skills that transform their lives. That's great. The science is incredible. It's a gift, but it's not the foundation. It's not the thing that matters the most. It's a tool. The thing that matters the most is humans treating other humans with dignity and compassion and kindness and touching other people's lives through warmth, um, making our clients feel safe. Like when our, okay, so when our clients are older, when they graduate, when they have their own YouTube channel, whatever it is, we want them looking back and remembering that we held their hands through the hardest times of their lives. We do not want them looking back, remembering that we were strict or grouchy with them or bossing them around all the time. That's not who we are as a field. It's not who we are. And we know that, but it's time for our field to really more fully embrace that it's our responsibility to show that and to live that through our behavior. Um, and the cool thing is, man, it's working. <laughs> our field is moving in this direction. Um, and so it's, it's a really exciting time actually to be in, in ABA. And I just have to say that um, in all of these discussions, and, and I love talking about this with you and hearing you talk about it, I just want to say that when my son re received his ABA treatment, that is what I got. You were a part of that team and that is what I got. And, and so when, when I, I just, I, I want to acknowledge that we're trying to open everybody's eyes to the fact that ABA is something that has the great potential to be compassionate. Like anything else, it, it also has the, the ability to, to go and do something else. But there sure. is good compassionate ABA out there. There has been good compassionate ABA out there for decades. This is not, of course. Since it, it didn't the just get invented last Tuesday. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but but I, I do think that ABA in general needs a new PR, uh, it needs a do-over because uh, the most of the information that's out there doesn't acknowledge this. But I'm so glad yeah. that you guys are starting to put this forward and saying this is a, a, an important piece of this. I think what was happening was that you guys were so busy out there doing your jobs and making people's lives better that you weren't telling people, oh, by the way, Here's what we're doing. And that's part of what happened. But, you know, here we're all about telling the stories. So I just have to tell the story that my son received compassion at ABA and Dr. Tarbox was a part of that team. And it's the best thing ever. So I want to say that we've only got like two minutes left. 
Uh, oh, they want the email address uh, for the study again, Traven. Can we put that back up um, and leave it up maybe um, till the end here? We've only got a minute, but I don't want to leave without talking about the implications of neurodiversity for ABA, because I know yeah. that this is a topic that you are, you know, are, are someone who's speaking out and, and it's very important to you. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say that I really appreciate the neurodiversity movement and um, I feel like it's a gift and, and it's helping us do better in areas of compassion. Um, it's helping us fight ableism in our treatment goals and our treatment plans and our approach to treatment. Um, it's helping us honor autistic culture and autistic perspectives. And the cool thing about doing that is, man, what our autistic friends and colleagues are telling us is stuff that we already care about. And like we neurotypicals, if, if we even are, uh, uh, we neurotypicals could do so much better. So for example, like just like, how about not getting so hung up on what it means to be professional or what it means to be correct social behavior? Let's be a little bit more inclusive and accepting of each other and a little bit more compassionate. That comes from autistic culture. And when you think about it, that's really interesting. Because, man, aren't we neurotypicals, the ones that are supposed to be helping them with social skills? And they're giving us the lesson that be more inclusive, <laughs> be less hung up, right, on what it yes. means to be correct socially. That's an incredible social skill. That's an incredibly higher order social skill that's so much more important than sharing or turn taking or eye contact or something. You see what I'm saying? So, like, I feel like we are learning so much from the neurodiversity community. Um, and I just appreciate it. And, and, and it's already paying dividends, but the next five years in ABA, we're seeing a, a really important evolution. I just want to give an example of that. I remember very distinctly coming to you on a day when my son was probably nine or 10, that I was having a problem where we were living. Uh, we had to park on the street, a very busy street uh, across from the condo that we were renting. And every day it was so stressful for me. I would get out of the car and I would be saying to my son, and there would be cars whizzing by. And I would be saying to my son, you have to get out and get to the, you know, get over to the sidewalk safely quickly because you could not get out on the other side. You had to get out on the street side. And I would be hysterical and saying to him, you have to get out quickly. Why are you taking so much time? And I would be pulling him in his backpack and almost throwing him onto the sidewalk because I was afraid we were going to get hit by a car. And I was, I was asking everybody for advice about how to do what and we worked through like a task analysis of what had to come out of the car and what order. And I worked on it with him. And finally, I, I said to him one day, I was like, it's, this is killing me. I just said to my kid, this is killing me. Do you understand why I need you to go quickly? And he said, not really. And, and I said, because it's got to be this way. It's making me anxious. And if it's not this way, I can't do it. I need you to do it this way. And he looked at me for a second and he said, mom, do you have autism? <laughs> right. And that was exactly the response you gave all those years ago when he said that. And in that moment, I went, oh, who is having rigidity here? Who is is not having perspective taking here? Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. him. Right. He was taking my perspective and go and saying, I don't understand why you need it to be this way. I was the person who was totally inflexible. I was yeah. the person who was not looking at uh, from his point of view. So um, there you go. It is important that we listen to the folks that are neurodiverse and in yeah. all of their stories, including yeah. when they have not had a good experience with ABA. Of course. 
Of it's course. essential that we not poo-poo that in any way, shape, or form. Um, and and I love that you and, and a growing number of your field are embracing that and saying this is th- this is the stuff we need to know. Um, I I just love you so much. Oh, thank you. I, <laughs> I do. Um, and I love what you're doing in this field, and I just respect and admire. Okay, so we got to finish this out. But where can people go? Uh, if they want to, for instance, if they want to buy your books, Dr. Tarbox. Oh, geez. Um, well. Uh, Is there so a website? Do you have yeah, an they, author website could, yet? I mean, they could check out our uh, our master's program website, and I have a webpage on there. So if you Google uh, USC ABA and you go past the paid advertisements, okay. uh, click on that. And, and there's a, a page with information on neurodiversity for ABA. There's um, research resources. There's um, a page for each faculty member, which has links to my books and articles and things like that. Um, and yeah, we'd love to, to have people drop by the website and uh, check us out and, and give us feedback. Yeah, there it is. Very and nice. Trayvon, Trayvon's got it in the comments uh, about where to go, but you can usc.edu, look up ABA uh, if you, if you're not watching us live, uh, you're amazing. You're remarkable. And for families, uh, we, we didn't, I only mentioned it, but for, tell, tell us about first steps. Oh yeah. First steps for kids is a fabulous, um, uh, ABA provider in uh, California, mostly in Southern California, but the one clinic up in the Bay area too. Um, and sort of a medium sized, um, still like family owned mom and pop ABA provider. Um, really high quality services. So, um, and they specialize in younger ages. So if folks uh, are, are looking for ABA services um, in the sort of Southern California or Bay area in California. Um, yeah. First steps for kids.com must be. Yeah. First steps for kids.com. Uh, check them out. They provide great services for sure. And, and it's possible they might run into you if they're there. Yeah. I'm the director of research. So yeah, I help out so uh, with go. a variety of different things. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Can we have you, we didn't get through a, a tenth of what we really want to talk about. Can we have you back sometime? Yes, please. I would love to spend more time to talk about compassion or diversity, any of that stuff. That would be I, The anti-ABA movement, I'm open to talking about anything. So yeah, um, it's all good. That. I love that about you. Uh, so many things that I love about you. Thank you so much for being here. If Thank I could just, uh, and you can stay if you want. I'm just going to go through the, the rest of the week or you can go because we, we kept you longer than we promised. Do you need to go? Um, I don't need to go, but okay. do, 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 do your thing for the show. And I'll, I'll okay. until I get Well, to- I do have to say that this week is absolutely amazing. It's totally off the hook. For those of you who've been watching, you know that we're moving into our new studio. We have a brand new studio, Dr. Tarbox. Next time, maybe we can have you come and join us. I'd like um, to come in person. That'd be really cool. It's like everything I could have ever dreamt of before. And we've started the move in process. It's going to be a while before we're actually doing live shows there, but it's started. So everything is that sort of wonky right now. Um, but we still have this amazing week started with Dr. Tarbox. Tomorrow, we have asked Dr. Doreen with Dr. Doreen Grampy-Shea, and it's the birthday show. Her birthday is coming up in this next week. Good. So for any of you that want to send a message for Dr. Grampy-Shea, uh, she loves birthday messages. So if you have something that you want to say to her, you can send those to me right now. 
or you can put something in the comments or you can write in tomorrow and watch the live show. My email is shannon at autism-live.com. We would love to just shower her with birthday messages, but please also be writing in your questions for her uh, as well. So that's tomorrow. On Wednesday, you guys, for the first time in, in many years, uh, probably as almost as many years since you've been here, Dr. Tarbox, we're welcoming back Holly Robinson-Pete. And oh my goodness, you guys, she is just so amazing. She's got stuff to tell us that is absolutely pivotal. If you're a Hallmark fan like I am, she's got a new deal at Hallmark, which is just going to be uh, amazing. And if you didn't see The Christmas Journey, which was the first time in a Hallmark Christmas movie that there was a, a leading character on the spectrum. And by the way, non-vocal. I mean, come on. Holly's getting it done over over at Hallmark. You got to love that. It's like all my worlds colliding, Dr. Tarbox. Yeah, it's really I, you know, cool. I love some Hallmark Christmas movies. A little, a lot, maybe compulsively. Um, yes. <laughs> and then on Thursday, we are having a full hour of Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. And our guests are Matt Asner and Nava Paskowitz Asner. Wow. In an interview that we, unlike any that we've done before, because we, we're going to ask them some questions where we get like really down to it. If you don't know them, they are the Brady Bunch of autism. If you've been some, if you're somebody who feels like you're never going to find the love of your life because it didn't, your first marriage didn't work out, boy, they've got the story for you. Six kids now in their blended family, three of them on the spectrum and, and they're running a center. It's absolutely amazing. So they're going to be here with us. And then on Friday, we're showing one of our best episodes uh, with uh, Dr. Temple Grandin. Don't forget, Dr. Temple Grandin is here with us again live on the 18th and you can be sending in your questions for her. We've got a, an amazing month but that's just this week coming up. It's an amazing so week. it's a good week, right? But wait till you see some of the stuff that we have coming up. Plus, later on this month, we are debuting our very new podcast, Dr. Tarbox. It's mm. called Stories from the Spectrum. It's all content by and for a neurodiverse world. So, Woo! That. that is so uh, awesome. Isn't it? And I've, I've started to see some of the some of the artists' work that we're going to be featuring in our first maiden voyage, and I'm, I I got I got goosies. I, I got major goosebumps. Uh, I'm I'm just loving this so much. So we're going to have more news about that. I, I don't know have the release date yet, but it's coming up in April. So all of that and more are coming up. But thank you to Dr. Tarbox. Thank you to all of you. Look at how much longer we've gone. I got to let you guys go. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye, Dr. Tarbox. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.